Well, hello, Spire Network. It's great to be with you again. I'm Chris Jefferson, and welcome to another Spire cast. We are really excited today uh, to have um, uh, Casey Tigret with us from uh, Parkview Christian Church, and we're going to join Casey in just a second. Looking forward to talking about Carlos Whitaker's uh, talk from 2019. Uh, Carlos came to our 2019 Spire conference uh, in Orlando and did a great talk uh, called Kill the Spider. We're look at part one of that today and then enjoy talking a little bit about it with uh, with Casey. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted just to remind you that the Spire Conference is coming up September 14th through the 16th. If you haven't had a chance yet to register, please go to spire.network and register today. Uh, we are really excited. Uh, a large group of leaders and pastors from around the country are uh, going to be in Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Opryland uh, Convention Center and Resort and in Nashville, and we're really looking forward to being able to gather together, to be able to um, hear some great speakers, uh, but to be able to also find uh, a lot of that great energy and collaboration that comes just from uh, the encouragement and the inspiration of being together. So we're excited about uh, being together September 14th through the 16th at Spire Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. This week, uh, you should be receiving some information. If you've already signed up to be a part of Spire Conference, you should be receiving some information about our breakouts and our huddle groups that'll be happening on Tuesday and Wednesday of uh, that week. It's going to be really a great time. There is something for every member of your staff uh, and your team uh, at Spire Conference. And so we're looking forward to really being able to announce those and have people sign up for those huddle groups as well as uh, those breakout sessions. Uh, so look for those uh, pieces of communication that will be coming out this week. Really excited uh, to be able uh, to engage and join together um, in in next month, right? It's coming up. It feels like September is a long way down the line, but it is uh, right around the corner. So looking forward to that. Um, so let's go ahead and bring on uh, Casey Tigret. Casey, it's so good to have you here with us today. Casey is uh, the uh, theologian in residence at Parkview Christian Church in the Chicagoland area. Uh, he's an author. He is a uh, professor uh, and um, uh, also a spiritual director uh, through uh, an organization that we have a great relationship with called Soul Care. And so we're really Really excited to be able to have you with us today, uh, Casey, and really appreciate you making time to be with us for SpireCast. Absolutely. It's a blessing to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, I thought maybe we could just share a little bit about your leadership role. There's many different areas that you lead in, and I'd love to hear just a little bit about um, everything from the way that you lead and help at Parkview, uh, all the way to uh, the, some of the work that you do through the Soul Care Organization. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been involved in local church ministry for more years than I'd like to say, because then I have to say how old I am. So we're not <laughs> going to do that. But from small rural churches, student ministry, I've been doing that kind of work for a long time. And I've been connected with Parkview now in, in two different staff roles, spiritual formation and now theologian in residence since 2009. And just being able to help us to clarify and communicate clearly what it is that we believe about certain things, uh, helping our elders talk through new challenges that come across, being able to do some work with that has been a, a key part of my leadership. Also, just being able to serve as a, a soul health and soul flourishing contact point for our staff. Uh, like many churches, we're 
we have a lot going on this past year, two years has been a, a different kind of a lot going on. And so just being able to stay in contact with our staff and helping them think through what God is up to and look for ways to flourish in their souls. Uh, the other piece of what I do being soul care is just being able to work with spiritual directors. We have a team of directors who provide guidance for uh, church and parachurch organizations, their staff and their leadership. And all we're trying to do really is to create a non-anxious space for people to listen to what God is up to. And those words are really cr critical and key for me because non-anxious does not describe most of us. Ministry, family, wherever, non-anxious is not not typically a descriptor we would use. And so being able to create those spaces for myself and another person or a group of people to just listen for what God is up to is really key. And especially now we're seeing this great resignation, great transition that a lot of leaders are going through post, not post COVID, but in chapter two of COVID, maybe best way to put it. Uh, how do we guide people? How do we listen for what God is inviting us to do? And I believe deeply in that word invitation. I think soul health is always something we're being invited to. And so how do we listen clearly to the invitation that God's presenting to us? So that's the heart of, of what I've been up to lately in, in teaching and spiritual direction and, and the various things that I get. I have the humble privilege of doing. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you being with us today and excited to take a look at this uh, talk that Carlos Whitaker did in 2019. It's entitled Kill the Spider. We're going to look at part one today. Oftentimes we find ourselves dealing with the cobwebs of maybe it's routines, maybe it's sins, maybe it's uh, bad um, uh, patterns that we've gotten our life in. And we find ourselves dealing with clearing away the cobwebs when uh, I think Carlos's point is what we really need to do is work on killing the spiders. So we're going to take a look at Carlos's talk. If you have a comment or a question that you'd like to ask Casey and I with regard to Carlos's talk or just a comment that you'd like for us to, uh, to, to be able to sound off on, we would love to have you put that in the comments section. Uh, and then we will talk about that just as soon as we hear uh, Carlos Whitaker from Spirecast or from Spire Conference 2019. Here's Kill the Spider Part 1. All right. Good morning, Spire. Buenos dias, mis amigos and amigas aquí en Orlando, Florida. Yes, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Um, I, I, my name is not Carlos Whitaker. It's Carlos Whitaker. So could you please, with your best Christian church self, just welcome me with a good morning, Carlos. Good morning. Could anybody in the room this morning use some resurrection of the blood of the cross and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life this morning? Amen. Listen, we all could use that hope. We all could use that hope. And, and I'm not here to preach a message this morning. I'm here to tell you my story for just a minute. Um, I, I, I'm in desperate need on a daily basis of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but I'll tell you what, I love teaching this message to church leaders because sometimes we can walk around with a little bit more of a swagger than we need to. Sometimes we can walk around because the truth is, is the people that we're ministering to, they look at us to lead them. But, but I, I'll tell you, sometimes it can get dangerous. It can get dangerous when you are the one ministering because you begin to believe sometimes that you are the one responsible for the blessings in your congregation's life. And of course, we would never admit that, but, but it's, it's just humanity. It's our carnal nature. 
I, I, was, I happened to be in one of the most incredible seasons of ministry about eight years ago in my life. This was, this was, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. And it seemed like every single thing that I touched in ministry at this point in season of my life was working out incredibly. Like it was one of those seasons of abundance and blessing and God's favor in my life. It was, it was crazy. Every single thing I touched would turn to gold. And I started to walk around with a little bit of a swagger. Like look at me now. And I actually have video evidence of this happening in my life. Of a mistake I even made turning to gold. My family and I were in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. And we were driving to an Atlanta Braves game. Which they got killed yesterday. So did my Dodgers. Unfortunately. Anyway, we're on our way to Braves game. And my kids are in the backseat of the car. And they're singing that Beyonce song, All the Single Ladies. You guys know that song. Don't act like you don't know that song. I know you all know that song. And so they're singing it. So I pulled out my phone to video them singing All the Single Ladies because I thought it was kind of cute. Well, halfway through the song, I decided to tell my then, I don't know, three-year-old son that he, in fact, was not a single lady. And the devastation that rose inside of his ethos was so massive that I thought, this is so funny. I'm, instead of texting this to my mom in L.A., I'm going to upload this to this brand new website called YouTube. Little did I know how this mistake I made in making my son cry would turn to gold. 24 hours later, let me show you what happened and how God's abundance was in my life. Watch this. The Whitaker family of Atlanta was in the car just singing along to Beyonce's hit song, Single Ladies. And then the family fun took an unexpected turn. You're not a single lady, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're a single lady. Oh! Sorry. Sorry. I love you, buddy. I was just kidding. I just kidding. You can do it. Buddy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, buddy. You're a single lady, okay? Okay? Here we go. If you like it, you did it, buddy. Sorry. Did that hurt your feelings? You can be a single lady if you want, okay? I'm a horrible father. Do you want to be a single lady? <laughs> I'm a horrible father. All right, we can stop it right there. Now, the reason why I say that that turned to gold was not just because overnight 7.2 million people saw that video. But I, but I was a worship leader with Integrity Music at the time. And two days after this video went viral, my very first worship record came out. Now, let me tell you, it was about a C minus of a worship record. Wasn't very good. But because I made my son cry, it went number one on the planet. Like I was above Hillsong. Chris Tomlin was looking up at me. I'm like, look at this, God. I've got this thing down. I started walking with a little bit more of a swagger. Like, look what I've done. How incredible is this? Not only that, seven months after this video went viral, my family got flown from Atlanta to Los Angeles, walked down a red carpet at the Staples Center, and on national television, Queen Latifah herself handed us a Crystal People's Choice Award for viral video of the year. I won a trophy for making my son cry. That's how good life was going. And here's the danger when, when God's blessing is so good in our life. Let me tell you, you guys know the danger. The danger is, is we begin to translate scripture to say every good and perfect gift comes from our hustle. 
right? But, but, but that's not what it says, right? Like, like what it says is every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every, not some, not most, but all of them. And the danger, right, is, is I began to, I was standing in this line of God's abundance and blessing and anointing and authority, but I was looking over at sin and I said, that's really appetizing too. I wonder since things are so good in my life and everything I'm touching is turning to gold, I wonder if I can just dab into sin for just a second and then hop back over into light. Hey, look at that. I did it. Nobody found out. My secret little sin is safe. My family's safe. My ministry's safe. I wonder if I can do that again for a little bit longer. And I stepped over into darkness a little bit longer, back in the light. And can I tell you, friends, before I knew it, I was dancing right after this between light and dark. And I thought that I could dance. But you know that the enemy is not going to let you dance. You will soon be drowning. And I found myself one day in the back of my condo in Nashville, Tennessee at the time with my three kids. And I walked to the front because I smelled dinner was cooking. And I said, hey, babe, what's for dinner? And she didn't answer me. And I walked into the kitchen, and the stove was still on, and the, the rice was still cooking. And we lived in a small condo, and I immediately started to panic because my wife wasn't anywhere in the condo. And I sprinted out to the driveway, and I saw that the minivan was gone. And I ran back inside the house to grab my laptop. And so was my laptop. And I knew in that moment that I'd gone from dancing to drowning. And I sprinted to the back bedroom to grab my kids. And with tears in my eyes, I looked at them and I said, daddy's made a big mistake and I'm so sorry. And I'm going to try to fix it. And they were so confused. They were that age and they're, they're crying and they're like, what's wrong, daddy? And before I could finish my speech to my kids, there was a knock on the front door and it was my best friend, Blake Bergstrom and his wife, Allie. And with a pitied look on his face, he said, Heather knows everything. She wants you out. And she wants the kids. And in one moment, I was just like you guys. I loved the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. But I thought that I had enough strength to overcome my own sin. And so I was trying on my own. And so began the darkest season of my life. I moved out of my house. I moved in with Blake and his family. And I was so angry at God. And I was shaking my fist at him every single night. And I was like, God, why didn't you give me enough strength to handle this sin issue in my life? I've lost my ministry. I've lost my family. I've lost my friends. And after four months of shaking my fist at God, divorce papers are signed. I've lost my family. I'll never forget, I got a text message from a friend named Mike Foster, and it was just one, one text. Nine years ago, I still have it on my phone. And it was one scripture, and the scripture said this, 1 Peter 5.10. He didn't, he didn't send me a motivational message from Oprah. It was just a scripture in the Bible. And it said, now the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. Now, if there was a period after support you, that would be the greatest scripture in the Bible, right? But unfortunately, there's more. And it says, after you have what? Suffer. Oh, so you're telling me that in this life we're going to have suffering. Yeah. But also there's even more good news because there's not a period after the word suffer. There's two more little words. A little. But when I read that, my suffering was not a little. My suffering was everything. 
And I called Mike and I was like, what does this mean? A little. I'm done with God. He's done with me. And he's like, no, I promise you, Carlos, that if you fix your eyes on Jesus and just glance at the circumstances at life, your suffering, that is your whole book right now is going to turn into a chapter, then turn into a page, then turn into a sentence. I promise. But you got to gaze at God and glance at life. Don't gaze at life and glance at God. So I began to do that. And things began to shift. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to do this. And I began to focus my eyes on Jesus. And slowly but surely, my friends around me, Blake especially, who I was living in, his said, Carlos, I'm seeing for a few months, I'm seeing things change in your life and shift in your life. And slowly but surely, more and more friends began to see things change and shift. I may have lost my family because of what happened in, in, the, in the sin issues in my life, but I'm not going to lose my soul. And the, and the Lord began to restore my soul. And I'll never forget, eight months after the trauma in my life, I got a text message for the first time, and it said, Heather. And I opened it up, and it just said, coffee, question mark. And I said, yes, exclamation point. (laughs) And I showed up, and she had her arms crossed. And she said, is what I hear about you true? And I said, I'm not going to say anything, but you can watch. And she began to watch from a distance. And then she watched from this distance. And then she watched from this distance. And can I tell you, friends, the God of all grace, who called me to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, personally restored, established, strengthened, and supported that marriage in my family. That family I lost, they're waiting for me right now in Nashville, Tennessee. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, gaze at God, and glance at life, we got it flipped around. So many of our churches for so far too long have been focused on, like, the issues of life instead of just fixing our eyes on the cross. And that's what I had to do. And so now, now I, I've got a picture of my beautiful family. They're a little bit older now. Look at them. Uh, there's Sohela, my 17 year I've got a 17-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. I'm a mess right now. There's all kinds of hormones happening in my home. But God restored this. And here's the thing. God's not going to, because of sin issues in our lives, always restore what we have broken, right? We, we live in a, in a broken world. It's filled with warfare. But what he will restore is your soul. And so for just a few minutes, I want to talk, really just a few minutes, I want to talk about how, how we can do that. You see, my, my, my family and I, we, my wife and I, we started going, doing all the things in the natural we needed to do, right? Counseling, therapy, we're going. We're going for three years. I remember three years post-trauma, I'm still going to see my therapist, Al. And, I, and I'm like, Al, bro, I've been paying you every single week. Like, am I fixed yet? And he said, oh, Carlos, you're almost fixed. You have to figure out one more thing. I said, okay, tell me the one more thing. And my Christian therapist, Al, looked me in the eye and said, you need to figure out why you keep rubbing crap on your blessings. Ooh, that, that noise you just made was the noise that I made. I was like, you can't tell me that. You're my Christian therapist. He said, no, no, take a look at your life. And in the timeline of your life, every single time the Lord blesses you with something, you don't feel worthy. And if you don't figure out why, you're going to do it again. And it shook me to my core, so I walked outside And I got in my car and I called my father. Because my father, he's a wise man, a first-generation immigrant from Colón, Panama in 1963. He showed up to the United States of America with $20 cash and a shoeshine kit. And my dad, he's a hard-working man. He he shined shoes at LAX for two years, got enough money for one semester at LA Community College. Then he got a scholarship for the next semester at LA Community College. Then he got a scholarship to UCLA. My dad is now Dr. Fermin Agustin Whitaker. And listen, yeah, we can clap for this country. It's amazing. It's what we can do here. But I tell you that only so you know how lazy he makes me feel. 
And so I call him and I'm like, Dad, Al told me that I keep rubbing poop on my blessings. And I need you to tell me why. And so my dad said, oh, Carlitos, I know why you rub crap on your blessings. <laughs> now, before I tell you why, I need to show you a picture of my father. Just so you can kind of get it. I mean, look at him. He's living his best immigrant life at his timeshare in Hawaii. Like, look at me. And I know half of you guys are thinking, I've seen that man somewhere before. You're actually right, because this is actually also a picture of my father. My dad is the emoji on our phone. What? <laughs> I literally don't even text my dad I love you anymore. I just send that emoji a hundred times a day. Okay, we take that picture down now. That we've been talking heavy. I want to lighten the mood for a second. So listen. So my dad said, he said, Carlitos, when I was in Panama preaching my very first revival, I gave the invitation for Jesus, and nobody came to the front. But one very old lady in the back of the church, she slowly makes her way to the front. And she looks at me and says, Pastor, can you pray for me? And he said, yes, I'll pray. Can you please pray that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? And I said, oh, that's very poetic. So we prayed, Lord, clean the cobwebs from Mr. Ramirez's life. He said, Carlitos, night numero dos, Mr. Ramirez, he comes to the front again. And she's still crying. And she says, Pastor, can you pray, but pray harder? That God would clean the cobwebs from my life. So my dad said he prayed a little harder. He said, Carlitos, night numero tres, the last night of the revival, Ms. Ramirez comes to the front again. And she's still crying. And she asked me one more time, Pastor, can you pray one more time? God would clean the cobwebs from my life. And my dad looked at her and said, no. We have been praying the wrong prayer. Tonight we do not pray. He cleans the cobwebs. Tonight we pray that he kills the spider. Oh, yeah. You know. And when he said that, something shook inside of me because I realized this is what I've been doing. He said, Carlitos, you're a professional cobweb cleaner. You cannot simply keep going to your therapist named Al. Now, I just need you to imagine the one guy you know named Al. That's exactly what my therapist looked like, okay? So you got that? And keep cleaning your cobwebs. You must find the root and kill the spider. And so the beautiful thing, friends, is I did. Now I had language. I, I went to Al. And I identified my spider, I located my spider, and I cornered my spider. And as much as I believe in therapy and the natural, our help is the natural, but our hope is the supernatural. And what I realized in the moment right then when I saw the spiders, I can't kill my spider in a therapist's chair. The only way to kill your spider is with the blood of the cross and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. And you guys know that. You believe that's why you're here. It's great. I remember um, just appreciating so much Carlos's uh, testimony and um, appreciating his uh, transparency uh, in talking about uh, those those things that for so long were kept very secret and uh, were were hidden. And uh, Carlos's um, uh, um, description here, his story is not unique, sadly. There are a lot of leaders. There are a lot of people who deal with uh, sin issues in their life, who deal and struggle with uh, things that are uh, so uh, damaging to not only marriages, but also to careers and to um, you know the the, um, uh, the church and to faith and to people. Sin is so destructive, and uh, so I appreciate Carlos's journey. I appreciate him sharing um, because uh, it's it's not uncommon 
to man, right? That we deal with this, especially as leaders. Um, and, and so I'm sure that there are a lot of leaders, Casey, that you uh, have, have worked with and have, 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 have really uh, helped either nurture back to a point of, uh, of, of, of true soul care, right? We talk, Carlos is great about talking about, hey, what, you know, I didn't want to lose my soul. I lost my family. I lost my job. I lost everything, but I didn't want to lose my soul. Uh, and, and really, I think he creates a kind of equation there that when we work backward, right, we see that some of the ways to not find yourself jumping back and forth into darkness and into sin is really a careful, measured care of your soul. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I love talks like this that open the door to this conversation because I have seen the same stories same stories, honestly, with the same structure, but a lot of times the the details are what it's easy to get hung up in Carlos's talk and say, well, I've never had a sin issue like that, right. that has caused all of these things to happen. And I, I think we forget those kinds of situations that he talks about are brought on sometimes by sin issues. Sometimes they're brought on by situations that are unwise, where it may not be sin, but it may not be a good idea and, or healthy or or any of the things. And sometimes it is a circumstance that we can't even control, something that's outside of us, whether it's a season of life. Um, so all of those things can contribute to what happens to our soul. And what I love that you all are doing with Spire is looking at this as a holistic kind of thing. Uh, sin doesn't just mean, we, we sometimes pigeonhole the soul as the thing that God deals with. Uh, but soul in the, in the definition is really the whole of our life all stitched together. And so sometimes we can easily isolate and say, well, my, my relationship with God is good by the metrics and standards that I have for that. But everything else is there's just a level of unhealth out here. And this won't last this. Uh, the tide of unhealth in every other aspect of our life will eventually consume this quote unquote spiritual thing that we have over here. And so what I love about Carlos's talk is he's opening up the door to say, the soul is a beautiful, strong thing, but it can also be traded. It can be lost. Yeah. It can be forgotten about, you know, we can lose it in the, in the context of the speed of ministry, the context of everything mm -hmm. else that we're involved in. And so bringing that up and opening that door is really, really important. And that's what I try to do with leaders, because honestly, spiritual transformation all comes down to being more aware and conscious of ourselves, which then makes us more conscious of who God is. Mm -hmm. If we're created in his image, the deeper we know our, our wounds, hangups, gifts, strengths, and abilities the deeper we go into that, we're actually going to discover more and more about the God who cares for our souls better than we ever could. So, mm, yeah, it's just so good. I knew I, I I could identify when Carlos started his talk and could start and he started talking about um, how everything he was doing was turning to gold. Right. And and how everything he, he was everything was 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 happening in such a way that it was uh, obviously a blessing. But there was a lot of personal identity right that he was seeing from that and gleaning from that and you know um i think that there there's uh, 
uh, th- that's one of the places where things begin to start, right? When that, yeah. when that time of, of pride and that time of, of, of our identity being uh, something that we are feeding or acknowledging or worshiping, right? Uh, becomes that thing that, that, that is a foothold on mm. a lot of other things in life. Uh, it's, it's not uh, surprising when we see people whose identity begins to break away from an identity in Christ and starts to become, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, more uh, in, inflamed with uh, with a, a sense of self. Uh, do you see that quite often in, um, in in leaders? I do. I see it in two ways. One is I see it in the way that a lot of leaders view their vocation and they view it with these gripped hands. And and I can see that because when I when I talk to people about the role that they play a lot of times there's a story behind it of God moving their hearts deeply and that sort of Jesus gut level compassion or um, skill or calling. And they, and they really feel this deep identification with the role that they play. And so they kind of grip it with their hands like this. And a lot of the work that I'm doing is to say some of our calling, some of our calling is actually time sensitive. And so that, that role that you're playing right now, in five or 10 years, it may not be there. And so instead of gripping it like this, being able to hold it with open hands, stewardship is being able to say, I have this for now. Hmm. And it may be taken from me for now. I will do it with everything that I've got, but, but at some point it might go away or I may shift or God may move me into something else. And so if I identify with this gripping, it's going to be a ripping away process. If I identify with it being open-handed, It can be this invitation process. And that is so much better for our souls because this is kind of a level of pride. And I've seen that both in the, you know, Carlos's story is a massive, like high profile success. And so, you know, somebody from a, has never had that could watch that talk and be like, yeah, of course, well, you're a celebrity or whatever, but I've seen enough pride in the opposite, Mm. taking pride in our anti-celebrity or pride in our suffering or pride in our small smallness or our, you know, everything bad happens to me. And that becomes another thing that we grip onto. Neither of those things are really helpful to the soul. And so being able to see that and then being able to develop the sense of God is always working on the one thing that you will carry with you, regardless of where you serve, which is that self, which is your love of God, your love of others and your love of self that allows you to function in a wise and hopeful way in the world. And so I'm constantly helping leaders step into that space to kind of retriangulate where they belong. Where is this connecting with God, a love for God, a love for self and a love for others that is muscular and lasting and strong so that you can have these open hands. And then when you need to move on, when the invitation comes, you can move on and there's, and there's grieving, but it's not as deep of a grieving as it would have been before. Such an interesting relationship that exists between the three parts of us, right? The flesh, the spirit, and the soul. And we often, I think, care least for the soul because we are, um, you know, 
for, for you know for those of us who have um, uh, you know uh, been been redeemed, have have accepted Christ, and have been uh, gifted with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the, our Spirit and the Holy Spirit, you know, trying to give way to the Holy Spirit and and accept that leadership and accept that guidance and accept the counsel, right, that we have access to, um, is uh, you know uh, I think um, sometimes complicated by pride of life, you know, lust of the eyes, or all of those things that are more fleshly in their nature. And so by the time we drill down those two different uh, layers to even begin to look at soul, right, um, th th we're exhausted, right? We're exhausted. The battle that's been taking place between trying to manage the flesh and trying to keep right the spirit uh, oftentimes uh, seems like um, uh, it may be in reverse order. Right. That mm. description. Is it possible somehow that that care deeper for the soul begins to align and help us dial in better with our spirit and then helps us, you know, really find uh, management of the flesh in a in a, in a specific and, and, and real way? Um, how have you seen mm. soul care really sort of manage the, the, the whole person, Casey? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. There are a lot of different ways, but some of it is, I think every point in this discussion that we've been having, there is an obstacle that is built into us as part of our development. Um, there's a shift that takes place where, you know, with my daughter, when she was young, we taught math and we would teach her that two, two plus two equals four and all of that. But we taught her, you know, you can't subtract a bigger number uh, a smaller number from a bigger number. You can't, or a bigger number from a smaller number. You can't do that. But at some point she has to learn, oh, there are such thing as negative numbers. Mm. And so when that happened, she didn't go, how dare you, you <laughs> evil people. You told me that could never happen. And I think we lose track of the fact that on this spiritual journey that we're on, there are these foundational things that we learn, like, you know, the flesh is problematic. And then we move to a stage where we go, but at the same time, Jesus came in the flesh. God created the flesh. Like there is this tension that we learn to balance. And I, for me, being able to see the soul, which to me, the soul is the whole burrito. It's everything mm -hmm. that goes into our life. Being able to see the soul clearly means understanding that some of these things, they're tension points. A lot of times when I use that word self, there are people like, oh no, you know, the self is filled with all these problems. And, and sure, but try living a day of your life without a self. And I think what you'll find is that it's impossible. And so there's a tension there between letting self drive the car and throwing the self out the door and letting it roll down the hillside. Mm -hmm. There is a healthy tension that comes in. So for me, it's trying to help leaders, people be faithful to their calling and at the same time, understand all of these pieces belong. And the spirit, I think, invites us to explore the places where that happens, where when we haven't rested our bodies, it's difficult to pray because we're sleepy and we tend to snap at the people that we love. So there's this interplay between all three of those that just builds and builds and builds. And it's us managing that tension. And for a lot of leaders, the idea of managing tension just doesn't fit on the iCal. Like there's just not a slot for, okay, now at 2.30, I'm going to manage my tension. There's just no space for that. And so that's where soul care becomes a really helpful thing is that sometimes we need a safe third space for someone just to say, sit in here with me. I've got your time. Let's try to manage the tension that's going to keep your soul healthy. Mm -hmm. 
if you were uh, advising a leader who maybe didn't have uh, a connection with an understanding of soul care or had a, a disciplined approach at being able to manage um, a more of a, an intentional soul care pattern in their life, what would you suggest is a great first step in being able to really uh, begin to connect from a soul care standpoint uh, for busy leaders, busy people, folks that uh, maybe have run past um, uh, the, the care of themselves? What is uh, something that uh, you know anybody can do to begin to reconnect with uh, a sense of of, of, of yourself, a sense of that soul care that's so necessary. Yeah. I, I think the first step is to pursue it, knowing that not pursuing it is going to become increasingly problematic. Uh, because I think there is a stage at which we work with people who have gone past the point where it would have been preventative. And now we're trying to react. I, I say it this way, we go from treatment to rehab. Um, we go from the place where we could have prevented this uh, collapse, whether it's moral or, you know, otherwise physical. Um, and we get to the point where we're just trying to put the pieces back together. So part of what I would say is that soul health is a critical and intentional and intense thing to pursue intentionally. The best first step, I think, is have someone to have a conversation with someone who lives and breathes and speaks on this idea or talks this idea of soul health, whether that's a person in your community that you look at and go, there's just something about them. They, they seem like they breathe easier than I do. Why is that? They seem like they're not as affected by things as I am. Why is that? Or in our organization at Soul Care, we, we have these initial conversations with people just to talk about what is the need that you have? And sometimes it's just helping people be aware of what's actually happening in their soul. Mm -hmm. So we have a soul health assessment that we do. Like, let's just sit down and say, you know, how are things? How are things in your heart, mind, body, spirit, family? What's the stuff that seems to be on fire? Where's the bleeding lung? And how do we help you step towards that? And so sometimes out of that, there's a leadership coaching aspect that's needed. Sometimes it's a, uh, you need to go off by yourself for a while and just reconnect with God. And then sometimes a spiritual director, a practice of seeing a director on a every four to five week basis who just holds that space for you can be the critical big first step. But I think ultimately it's, you need, we need that other person who has this burning heart for soul health and soul flourishing to be able to talk to, to be able right. to get some clarity. Yeah. Carlos even talks about that a little bit in uh, his discussion here about his counselor, right? His, his, his helper, right. And, and being able to uh, rely on whether that is a mentor, whether that is someone who um, like yourself, who is actively in, involved in uh, spiritual direction and really being able to, to help uh, um, folks through that. It is so important that we, uh, we do not try to do it alone. Right. That yeah. we not try to uh, uh, to uh, to muscle it out or somehow um, uh, figure it out uh, for ourselves, but rather uh, we lean on uh, the experience and the help uh, that others uh, can offer. Um, uh, soulcare.org is that is that is, is sort of soulcare.org or soul.com? I can't remember. Dot com. Is. 
Dot com. Okay, soulcare.com. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to check out soulcare.com, I'd recommend that you have it that you do that. Uh, I know that, that Casey's uh, information is there. Uh, there are also several other uh, folks that are part of this great organization. It's going to be something that is going to be part of uh, our pastor health and resiliency uh, program here at Spire Network, just to be able to connect with. A lot more of that will be coming out after the conference, uh, after we get a chance to meet together in September. But I would just uh, um, encourage you that if you have the opportunity to go and check it out, soulcare.com. It's a great resource and a great way uh, to begin uh, to, to, to consider what are you doing to really take care of your soul? What are you doing to really connect deeply uh, with uh, the Lord and who he's created you to be? Um, and um, we'll look forward to uh, unpacking part two of Carlos Whitaker's Kill the Spider talk next week. But Casey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the work that you do. And thank you so much for uh, continuing to point people to a, a deeper relationship with the Lord, a deeper understanding of themselves and helping them be uh, wired for the service that, that we have in front of us. So appreciate that so much. Yeah, Thank you all pleasure. again. If, if you haven't had a chance again, go to spire.network, spire.network to sign up for the, uh, the um, uh, Spire conference. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, communicating more information uh, about the uh, huddles and the breakout sessions this week. And really excited to be able to reconnect and see you all uh, again as we gather in Nashville, September 14th, through the 16th. Uh, take care and uh, we'll see you next time.